listening to episode 252 of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. My name is Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we continue our look at Joss Whedon's Dollhouse. And uh, you've had a busy weekend. I'm going to get to that in a second, so don't say anything about it now. I'll let you fill in the details uh, momentarily. But as always, we'd love to hear from you guys. Emails to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch at gmail.com or at the website where you can leave a voicemail using the Leave Voicemail tab. Record your own audio clip, send us the MP3 as an attachment, or tweet us at Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. And as always, we'd encourage you to consider joining the Facebook group and get into the discussions there. So, in news this week, I'm going to throw it right out there now. Wayne is the proud parent, well, he was proud even before this, I'm sure, of his first high school graduate. Yes. Nicely done, man. Thank you. Well, it's funny, I mean, like... Yeah, I don't think it's inappropriate for people to say, you know, congratulations to the parents because it takes a lot of parenting to to get to this. But but yeah, yeah, we're really excited. Uh, very very proud of him. He did, uh, despite uh, trying to fight through senioritis, he actually came out all right. And we'll be heading to Towson University in a couple months. So, yep, which is my alma mater. So. Right, right. Go Tigers. But uh, yeah, man, I've met your kids and they're great. And, and as you said, I mean, it's, it's, you know, you and your wife, I mean, you guys did an awesome job and hopefully he'll have a great experience at Taos. And I, I loved it. Of course, it's radically different than when I went there, but still it's a nice little town. Yeah, no, that's the thing. You know, Towson's a, a really good town and, uh, you know, I, I have really, I, I literally, and I'm not even lying about this, I've yet to meet a person who went to Towson who didn't love it, you yeah. know? Yeah, like, I don't think I know and, anyone who transferred out of Towson, and every person who graduates from there is like super, like, like you say, like go Tigers, you know, like they're just like totally into it, even way later and everything. So yeah, he's gonna he's gonna be great. It was it was always like he got into like schools that maybe you know like Maryland that might people might think is more prestigious or whatever, but he uh, he chose Towson over Maryland, you know. So and he got into Hofstra too, and you know he still he just loved it there. So. Anyway, cool. Yeah, if you're a lacrosse fan, which obviously I know you are and, and your kids are, it's a great lacrosse school, one of the top 20 teams in the country almost every year. So, yep. yeah, yep, a lot going on. All right, so for my news, my aversions that I've mentioned on the air here several times to leaving my house, getting <laughs> on an airplane were proved correct Uh-oh. this past five days as Uh-oh. I went to Florida to visit my mom and there's just so much about flying that I have a difficult time coping with. And look, I mean, I, I understand in the big picture, there are people that have really true you know, tragedies to deal with. So I, I understand that. But, you know, I mean, we all have to cope with a lot of things. But the whole flying experience is something that just just really hits me. And I just can't deal with it. And going down was fine. Coming back, get to the airport, uh, you know, I'm already planning, all right, I'll be home by three, I'll go to the grocery store and all. So we get there, I go up to print out my boarding pass, flight canceled. Oh. Like, what the hell? Why? So uh, then I noticed the long line of people at the Southwest counter because of the weather in Baltimore. Mm. And what we, what we found out was because of the weather, it's not that planes couldn't come in, it's that they couldn't handle the volume that they were used to. So basically they just cut it in half. So yeah. of course they're trying to reroute us and no, I don't want to leave 
at seven o'clock the next day, <laughs> seven o'clock in the evening. Right. Um, so we ended up driving from West Palm Airport to Fort Myers, which is on the other side of Florida. And dude, when I tell you there's nothing between <laughs> West Palm and Fort, there's nothing. There's I mean, nothing we wanted there. to stop and buy a soda. I don't know what you would do if you ran out of gas. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean you just nothing. ran out of soda and you couldn't. <laughs> yeah. and so that you know then we get there and you know look long story short we finally get into bwi and then we can't find our car oh and, and first of all there's nobody that to ask there there are no signs and with without going on you know we finally found the car finally got the hell out of there and god i'm never leaving my house again except to go to the grocery store <laughs> i'm done <laughs> i've learned my lesson uh anyway yeah well so. i mean flying sucks for everyone though but i mean that's that's a little bit worse than your typical you know flying sucks story but uh yeah i mean no one really i don't think anyone really enjoys flying you know you just unless you are a, a first class ticket holder you know but if you're like the the rest of us schlubs you have to wait in line interminably uh in order to sit in a seat smushed between two other people or have two other people smushing you on the other side and yeah. Well, yeah. even that was okay. I mean, I don't know if you've ever flown Southwest. Oh, yeah. I fly Southwest all the time. Whether, okay. Whether so fly, the, fly the whole open seating policy. So, you know, we get on and, you know, there's a woman, there's two seats next to her. So, oh, no, I'm saving those. No. Uh, you don't no, save seats. No. Wrong. And then, <laughs> you know, so anyway. All right. I'm going to stop there. All right. Let me uh, jump into my tip of the week. Well, the problem with that is that if you, like, call BS on that, then – you have to sit next to this lady the whole flight who's going to be all pissed off. So Yeah. Of so course, she goes anyway. sit in the back. It's, you know, like. Right. Well, we were C's, so we were already in the back. Oh, wow. Okay. Oh, if you're in C, you can't. Well, I guess, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Well, anyway. All right. My, so my tip of the week is a show that I think I've mentioned before. It's on Showtime. It's called Billions, starring mm-hmm. Damian Lewis yeah. as Bobby... Bobby Axelrod, founder of Axe Capital, caught which is, some uh, Band of Brothers. Uh, yeah, oh. rewatching this this past Memorial Day weekend, pretty sweet. Nice, nice. So he's the founder of this, this company that's one of the most successful hedge funds in the business. Paul Giamatti is Chuck Rhodes, the U.S. attorney that's hell bent on bringing Axe to justice for a myriad of crimes, some real, some not. It's nearing the end of its third season, and it really does a nice job giving a peek behind the curtains of both the financial industry and the government prosecutors determined to protect the interests of the public. Yes, Axe breaks the law and probably should face some criminal charges, but the fascinating thing here is that Giamatti's character is far more sinister than the man he pursues. So it's one of those deals where, well, who's really the bad guy here? Right, right, right. So, so it's really fascinating. Billions on Showtime, if you have Showtime. So, cool. all right, what do you got? Well, so I got, I, I got kind of two things, but if I go too long about the first, then I'll, I'll wait on the second one. So the first is Solo, uh, which I know there's been a – degree of shade being thrown at the movie and everything and you know people saying should they keep making these movies i'm like yes solo was a good movie i liked it a lot it was awesome i enjoyed it thoroughly you know but i I don't know why uh people who don't like it don't like it except that you know there's there's always the haters out there and uh you know i don't know 
I thought it was great. I thought it was awesome. But I'm obviously an avowed Star Wars uh, nut. Um, and I'll, uh, you know, you put that, uh, the, the word Star Wars before anything, and I'll probably be into it. Though, I, in my defense, I will say, I did not like The Last Jedi that much. And I still don't really like it very much. So, so, uh, so, so but I thought it was good. I, the guy who, uh, the Alden Ehrenreich or whatever who played Han Solo was, was fantastic. He was just he was great. He did such an awesome job, and it wasn't like trying to be Harrison Ford. You know, he managed to keep some of the nuances that Harrison Ford injected into the character without like trying to pretend he was Harrison Ford, which I thought was the toughest job ever. You know, I'm like that's that's such an iconic role um, to come in and be. You know, the second guy playing it is is got to be rough, but he he handled it with a plumb, in, in my opinion. Nice. All right. Well, so. you know. Uh, I'm far more likely, even though I haven't been in quite a while, far more likely to actually go to a movie in a movie theater than I am to get on a plane anytime soon. But right. <laughs> All right, cool. So or you have something else, you want to or better yet, uh, go see Deadpool, and then you can see Deadpool too. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the other thing is Westworld because Westworld. I, have you 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 aren't watching it season two, are you? <laughs> I haven't started yet. They're, they're building up on the DVR. Oh, dude, you gotta watch it. This season is crazy and uh last night the the episode last night was just it was just off the hook man it was just i was i was going crazy i'm like what is go like i'm by myself i'm literally going out loud like what is going on you know like uh it's just it's just great like i was wondering where they were going to go with it but uh they have really uh they're they're really exploring some depth so and i think you would like it especially because they're really even more getting into the like the what is like the thing that humans deals with all the time like well what is intelligence what is alive you know right right Uh, what is a person right right so uh yeah just uh really great so Okay, and you mentioned humans, and uh, we're recording on Monday, the 4th of June. Humans, I believe, comes back for season three tomorrow, June 5th. But uh, All right, and, and oh, before we go any further, really. you know, yeah, I think so. I uh, hope you guys nice. enjoyed that blast from the past last week uh, as we put up our season one discussion of Orphan Black. And, I mean, obviously, you could have gone back and listened to the original. It's still available, but I know a lot of people – aren't going to go searching for it and it's not in one of those tabs at the top of the web page so uh yeah i I enjoyed listening to it and god what a great show but you know we could talk about that and we're not going to so right all right what we are going to talk about however is dollhouse episode 210 the attic written by marissa tancherone and jed whedon who wrote uh, 204 belonging 207 meet jane doe with andrew chambliss 103 Stage Fright, 110 Haunted with Jane Espenson, and they did the teleplay for 113 Epitaph 1. Now, interestingly, it was directed by John Cassidy, who's primarily a comic artist and has had work for Dark Horse, DC, and Marvel, and really not a whole lot of directorial experience. So, you know, I I like this when there are a couple of issues I have, but I think I can explain them or, or at least justify them. And it aired December 18th, 2009, which followed episode 209 that same evening as they were running double episodes at this point. All right. So first thing that we notice is the return of Reed Diamond as yes. Mr. Dominic, yes. now on Echo's side. And, yeah. you know, 
I don't want to say he was even more awesome than usual, but it was awesome to see him out of the three-piece suit. And just there was a whole different sensibility to his character that was just so much fun. Yeah, so here's and this is actually i know this is kind of like a personal thing with me and and reed diamond when i first saw reed diamond he was on homicide life on the street and i loved his character on that show but he was a guy who didn't always make the best decisions which he you know he obviously plays those guys pretty well he plays them a lot but he was still a guy like you kind of root for and i find myself always rooting for reed diamond even in like it, was it Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. or one of the Captain America movies? He, he was a, no, a Agents ba- of S.H.I.E.L.D. He was a bad Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., right? So yeah. even even there, when he is like a real, he's a freaking Nazi, I'm still like, you know, I bet you he's kind of okay to hang out with still, you know? <laughs> like, um, I, I, I'm not supporting Nazism at all, by the way, just this disclaimer. But, you know, just like, like despite, he, he always plays, he plays a lot of a-holes, let's face it, you know? And that's kind of become his his bread and butter, but I still like remembering from Homicide. I still kind of like, like even though he's playing a complete baddie bad guy, like I kind of think that's still Reed Diamond is still kind of cool. I, I want him to do well. So for Mister Dominic, who was a complete a hole, now to see him like actually start to become a good guy and teaming up, and that's the end. Taking one for the team. I was like, I, I loved it. I thought it was it was great. I, I was just I was just like, two thumbs up on that. Cool. So, all right. Now, one of the other things, and obviously we'll get into this during the course of the discussion, but what we find out about the addicts is that Rossum is using the brains of the networked addict individuals as a basically a computer processor. And it seems very Matrix-like to me. I mean, is it too much of a copy? I, I, I could never really decide what I thought about that. Yeah, that's that's funny you say the Matrix, because that's totally really what they probably... Again, like everyone's like, what, what influenced what and everything? Obviously, the Matrix is incredibly influential, was a super popular series of movies, so... Anytime after that, when you have something like this, um, some kind of hive mind, which is actually that's something that they're, we're seeing in, in Westworld as well, even if it's not necessarily directly, you know, like inspired by the Matrix, it's probably at least tangentially because where was that idea before the Matrix, right? Like, sure. I don't even know if I ever thought about something like that. For, and there's probably like a, a bunch of people out there right now who are like yelling out things. Well, of course, like in this thing, yeah. You know. But I think like popularly, really, I think the Matrix kind of like was the first to come with the idea of people being used as as basically batteries, right? Sure, um, right. And, and and I guess on on the one hand, as soon as I want to criticize because it's so Matrix like, then I think well. Is this simply the natural evolution of things that using the human brain, which is its own supercomputer, and linking them together? Of course, there's a lot of nefarious intentions going on here, but I, on the one hand, I can see that. So, still, you know, the Matrix, or and heck, if if one of you guys out there knows of of something that preceded the Matrix, post it on the Facebook group. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so, you know, but, but that's always like the thing. So like loss is always like the big thing. Like if, if you, you get like, especially you listen to a podcast and the, and the podcaster was a big fan of lost, they're going to see lost everywhere. Right. And 
at this point, I'm like, you know what? Like, Lost was definitely great. No question influential. But is it still like a thing where if you see someone climbing down into a hole, it's because of Lost? Like, I think we're kind of past that now, you know? Or if there's a plane crash or someone's on the beach. No, it's not because of Lost. They're not doing a Lost shout out. It's just a person on the beach. It's just a plane crash. It's just a person going down to a hole. Relax, you know? Yeah. Now, it, it was pretty cool because it, it seemed as if at first it was some sort of virtual reality, which I guess in a sense it, it, it is. But we learned that all of the dollhouses around the world are connected as well. So we've, we've got a pretty powerful mainframe going on here. But then we have to consider to what end? What's the purpose? So well, nothing good. Nothing good. And, and are they using individuals that present a threat to Rossum? Is, is that where they get their start? Once they do that, then we bring them in. Because I guess on the one hand, you would think that, well, if they're truly a threat to Rossum, they must be pretty sharp and smart in, uh, individuals. So right. those would be exactly the kind of brains we would want to use. But there's also, as we saw here, exactly the type of brains you shouldn't use because they're not cooperative. Or exactly. Right. Which but they now, might not even know. Like, it's possible Rossum has – they probably have no idea what's going on in there, you know? Right. How could they? Exactly. Right. So that they should know that the guy who invented it is actually running around trying to to destroy it and everything. And, and they got uh, Dominic in there mucking things up. And then they throw Echo in there, which is really – if they knew – the reality of what that mainframe is like, they would have never put Echo in there. Like, that would be the absolute last person you should hook up into the mainframe of anything, you know? Um, so clearly, Ross, but again, it's like kids play with matches, right? Like, we've seen what happens because of Rossum's pissing about, basically, right? I have seen the future, Mr. Langdon, and it is not for the weak. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, one of the greatest lines in the episode, but, but yeah, exactly. And, and again, science fiction is littered with science run amok and the lack of responsibility for the technology that, that man creates. And, and certainly this is another example. But the other thing that, that I still find fascinating, even on a rewatch, and I'm still not sure, I mean, what's the deal with the body parts? You know, when Echo finds herself uh, with the, the guy that exposed the uh i i guess the weaknesses in rossum's mainframe and then of course as he tells echo once he exposed them then he knew about them so now he became a threat and he was put in the attic but you know all those body parts the limbs that had been hacked up uh, what was that all about i don't know just gruesomeness i think I, i mean i mean adele threatens topher later in the episode that if he bucks the corporation He'll be chopped into little bits, uh, you know, the way they, uh, the way Topher, because I, I Boyd forced him to be the one that cut up that guy that assaulted right. C- Sierra. Right. right. Yeah. So, I, well, in that case, I think she was just, I mean, she was and was not speaking metaphorically, you know, <laughs> like at the same time. Um, right. No, I think she was just implying that what you have done will be, you know, you will reap what you sow, in other words, and what you have done will be brought back to you tenfold. Um, but, but yeah, then the, the other body parts is like, yeah, what's that about? 
Pink Floyd, one of these days, I'm going to cut you into little pieces. That was probably before your time. Yeah. I don't think you were born yet. Was that the that Sid Barrett out. days? Uh, you know, it was probably right on the cusp. I believe David Gilmore had joined by them. All right, well, let's take a look at the opening scene. We see Echo saran wrapped in the attic yeah. as those two techs are preparing her monitoring. And, and it appears that she dies, but then all of a sudden her vitals come back. And Fred's going to talk a little bit in his feedback about, you know, some, some I guess, medical nitpicks that he has. And, and <laughs> you know, again, he's got the, the background on that. So I, I think that's something that we, we expect out of our science fiction that – yeah. You take the time to address those those details because uh, you know I think it's important, but but still we'll we'll, we'll let it go. Well, well that, uh, but that you're you're absolutely right there in that like you know like if you are writing science fiction, you do have to dot your eyes across your t's because you have a very knowledgeable fan base out there, and uh, if you you know pull off something to BS, they're gonna hit the BS button right on you, you know. So, you know, Echo frees herself, takes out the, the female tech. Then the one guy tells her that she's in the attic and that they use their real names. And, and of course, we, we've already seen the groundwork here. She says, my name is Echo. And I guess we understand at this point that her transformation is complete. Yeah, yeah, Caroline yeah. is just now only part of the new whole. Caroline está no más. All right. So, but, but you know, but the thing is, like, kind of like this is like what she's really doing there is practicing, right? Yeah, because she just gets to work out her escape over and over until she figures it out. Like, Rossum really does not know what's going on in there, you know? Right, right, and and, and you know that that scene, if you recall, the episode in Travelers. Right where they they're on that loop and they just keep yep. replaying it, right. and replaying and it until they, they finally until get, they it, get right. it right. Yeah, yeah. Now uh, after she frees Victor and Sierra, they begin their escape, and and as you said, you know they're shooting whoever gets in their way, and, and of course in the first iteration, Victor and Sierra get shot and killed, but you know we realize that Echo quickly figures out what's going on and and just you know another loop appears later it doesn't take us long to figure what's going on here and again now granted this is 2009 so this appeared a long time before the travelers episode and and uh, i don't want to say again that that there weren't any time loops or you know any loops like this that had appeared in sci-fi before dollhouse because i'm again i'm sure they yeah well they i have. Mean, it's you know groundhog day and pretty much everything after that right sure so um the other thing is that the notion of switching bodies is brought up in this episode by Clyde later on. So, so we'll get to that in a second. Now, DeWitt is fascinating in this episode, even though we don't yeah. see her a lot. Everything that she oh, says and does. Scored. Oh, nice. <laughs> I, just, everyone, I, heard, I heard everyone screaming upstairs. I checked it. Yes, the Capitals have scored. Sorry, sorry yes. everyone. Yeah, NHL Stanley Cup Finals tonight, Game Four. The Caps are up two to one, and this, you know, hopefully will be their first Stanley Cup. Ever. Yeah, so stop. All right, okay. All right, so so one of the things that we see in, in this episode also, because we we know Ballard has been in a coma for a while now, and we've wondered when they were going to address this again. 
she gives Topher orders to install doll architecture in Ballard, even though it might be risky, because really, there is no other choice. Yeah. If we want Ballard to come back, this is the only way. Now, she says, we're in the market for a new victor, are we not? And <laughs> I was a little fuzzy on really what she meant there, because, of course, uh, you know on, on the one meant. hand, yeah. well, is, is that Heart's it? Lonely Heart's looking to branch out. Well, I, I, for no, some I reason, I don't think, but, but I mean, that's the first thing we think of, but sure. I, I don't think that's really it. So the plan I, I think is at, a, at this point, she's still in, in like villain mode, you know? So yeah. like, she's just like, they're just going to have her say stuff just to, that, to make her seem more evil. Right. Know? But then when we get to the episode and, and the big reveal that all of this was part of her plan and. Uh, you know, I guess we could certainly argue or discuss whether everything fell into place a little too neatly. And it's like, really? And, and uh, you know, but whatever. The idea is they're going to turn Ballard into a doll. Of course, the kicker is that he's going to have his own personality, minus right. whatever it is that Topher decided to leave out. Now, the other fascinating thing was the fact that Topher doesn't really know what goes on in the attic though he does say that no one ever comes back i i found that really interesting how with his mind the curiosity that that is inherent in his personality how he never tried to find out i mean maybe he did and he was turned away each time but you know somewhere yeah. in that house is the attic yeah yeah i i, I just kind of take it as he was kind of like busy with other stuff i guess you know and it was just like the thing he just didn't want to know about didn't want to ask about you know like that like the thing that's so scary like which part of like kind of like goes with what you're talking about is something that's so scary that even Topher like won't go there like doesn't try to cross that path right and you know later on dewitt brings up you know whether Topher's going to prove valuable moving forward and you know will he fold under the pressure and of course he says no i don't fold and obviously we know that he does and uh you know from what we saw in epitaph one and we've got epitaph two uh you know just a few episodes uh, down the road but you know we learned that that these individuals in the attic are in some kind of adrenaline fueled nightmare state. And I guess what we learn later on is that because they're in this hyper state, it produces more energy, I guess, for this supercomputer mainframe that's powered by the human brain, I guess is yeah. the idea here. Uh, yeah. I, or, or they just, yeah, I, right. I guess that's, that must be what, yeah, that that creates the power and everything. Or either that or just again, Rossum is just so evil, like they just wanna you know, like it's not bad enough you put someone in saran wrap, you have to give them a eternal nightmare to boot. Right. Which really I'm pretty now, sure like I mean like I'm no doctor, but I feel that, that the brain could not sustain that, you know. Like dreams are meant to restore the brain. So if you keep giving a person nightmares all the time, uh, the brain's probably just going to say, all right, peace out. I'm done. You know? Right. Right. And, and certainly we learned that Clyde has been in there since 1993, which is yeah. 17 years. Which yeah, so. doesn't seem possible. Yeah. But right. now some 
Right. Really it doesn't cool. seem possible. Like they're taking other people's personalities and imprinting them on other people. And this is what I'm, I got an issue with. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now I, I love the scene where Topher comes into his office and Boyd's asleep on the couch, which on so many levels that Boyd would be essentially asleep on the job, which I guess is what's sort of implied here, but that he says he's got problems at home, which is kind of the first time that we've heard anybody mention a life outside the yeah. dollhouse home. <laughs> yeah. And I think we've talked about it before. Like, you know, where does Topher live? I mean, we assume Topher lives there, but where does Boyd live? Where does Adele live? I mean, I guess they yeah. live at the dollhouse. Yeah, you're right. The only person what we saw, you know, Ballard's uh, apartment back in the day. We saw the place Miss Lonely Hearts um, hooks up with, with her, you know, with, with Victor. But really outside of that, we have not seen these characters outside the dollhouse. Well, I mean, we, we, you know, not like in where they live outside the dollhouse. We've seen them out in the other, in the outside world. Yeah, you know, we, we don't see, yeah, we have seen nothing of their life outside the dollhouse. Right. Now, given what we will find out about Boyd later in the series, this idea that he's got problems at home could refer to a lot of different things. Uh You know, we'll we'll just leave it at there for now. Echo climbs the ladder and you mentioned the uh, hatch in Lost and, and she goes out the hatch and finds herself. You know, it looks like it's snowing. There's this really cool old tree. And I love her first reaction. Well, that's new. Right. But so, you know what I thought of there? And again, like, here's my slant. Like, oh, it's like a Doctor Who Christmas special. You know? Yeah. Like sure. you walk into some weird world, but it's snowing. That like happens all the time. So anyway, I just the uh, ragged on lost people for that. And here I go doing it myself. So. Well, the first thing that came to my mind once I got my bearings and we see that this tree is actually inside the dollhouse and she sees some images of her past engagements and and then, of course, a young girl who we assume is young Caroline. But the idea of the tree of knowledge, because this really is all about Echo learning about who she is and learning what needs to be done to bring down the Rossum Corporation. But the blue monster, which, again, Fred will address that in in his feedback as well, this this arcane, pretty creepy, pretty cool. And I love the fact that we just we never really get a good glimpse of him. Can I say the words Doctor Who again? Sure. Doctor Who. Yeah. Like always that get like the the creepy like you know behind the sofa monster of the week like that's uh classic. Yeah. So Arcane the monsters fighting Echo when all of a sudden Mr. Dominic appears and first she fights him but it becomes clear to us and and eventually to her that he's trying to help her. And that's when the the realization that they're both in the attic although I I love Again, the scene where they disagree as to whose nightmare right, it is. Right. But but then we are taking the next step that, oh, you mean I can see your nightmare and you can see my nightmare and everything's connected. 
and ah, the minds in the attic are somehow linked. And then, of course, the question, who or what is arcane, comes up at that point. I'm probably not expecting it to be who it turned out to be. But yeah, right. Went from being like super creepy, threatening to like not at all. (laughs) Now, as far the other other directions you can go. Anyway, moving on. All right. All right. Now, once I got past Ivy's boots, which I liked, by the way, and I'll just leave it at that. Uh, <laughs> she gets called into DeWitt's office. Topher makes some kind of a joke that, uh, you know, hopefully she'll come back. <laughs> or I forget exactly what he says, but but certainly it's got a rather ominous overtone and, and she seems a bit reticent to go in. But then when she comes back, it's like she's in this numb state. Yeah, she's pissed. Where and, and it doesn't really become clear. I mean, you say she's pissed. What do you think she's pissed about? You know, I, I, we don't, do we find out? We don't find out, right? Well, no, we find out that she was called in there to prepare her to eventually take over for Topher. Right, right. Sh- should the need arise. Yeah. So, I'm, yeah. I mean, does she feel like she's, somehow betraying Topher it does she because no, she's she's like she seems like she's pissed at Topher like well, this why? is like kind of like any any anyone who's ever been married <laughs> kind of understands the I, but yeah I don't know why like yeah you know actually that's something that I was wondering about as I was taking notes and yeah they do say that they they talked about her being the next Topher, but yeah, like, but why, why is that making her mad? Well, I wonder whether it just the enormity and the gravity of, of what his job would mean because she's a brilliant young woman and, and she sees what's going on around her. Maybe she doesn't want that job. She doesn't want that responsibility, but DeWitt explains to Topher basically yeah, everything you've done is great, but what have you done for me lately? What what can you do for me in the future? Do you have anything to offer? And then, as I mentioned before, that idea of whether or not he'll buckle under the pressure, obviously, it's not really even foreshadowing because we've seen Epitaph 1. Right. But, you know, within the context of where we are in the timeline, you know, it, it certainly does foreshadow what's going to happen with him. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, here here's my takeaway from this conversation because this is where the um they they talks about like you having your quarterback on the sideline or something like that when like with uh was was that when they were talking about? I'm, I'm... I think that came uh, later. Okay, all right, my bad. I'm trying because because no. well, basically like okay, if we can just segue to that. I mean, I was just like because obviously this was made after the Michael Vick. Thing because he's like your your quarterback is you know running an illegal dog fighting thing. And I'm like, oh my god, was it that long ago that the Michael Vick thing happened? Like, holy cow! Yeah, and the w- introduction of the Wildcat, right? Oh, the wa- <laughs> right. It was the Wildcat, right? Right. Right. Well, well, no, no, no. She does mention uh, she doesn't mention Michael Vick by name, but that's right. Cl- clearly, who she's talking about. But then, then I love. Like, yeah. Well, I think Topher says something about like it's like. You know, a, a football team where your your quarterback is, you know, running an illegal dog fighting in his basement. So clearly, you know, alluding to that. But yeah, yeah, the, the wildcat thing is is what they, they get. Well, you know, of course, like Topher, not like not necessarily a sports guy, right? 
Well, he, or he at least knew about Michael Vick, but he didn't get her uh, analogy. And like she says, well, you started it. And he says, that went under my head. That went under my <laughs> which, head, yeah. <laughs> which was uh, classic Topher. But, you know, we talked about Echo having the meal uh, with the uh, Chinese man who claims he'd been sent there because he found the vulnerabilities in, in Rossman's mainframe. But then we see Sierra and Victor in bed when suddenly everything changes to the nightmare scenes. Right. And, and, and we see her with Nolan. I forget what his last name is. I got it in my notes somewhere. Oh, and, yeah. And, and, uh, and the blood starts dripping on, so on her. Terrible. And then we see that it's his corpse that, she's having sex with, or, or not really having sex with, but, but he's like kind of on top of her. Nolan Kennard. Yeah. No, Kennard, 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 whatever. Uh, I think it's Kennard, but, but clearly that's her nightmare and, and understandably so. And, and, you know, when we see Victor's nightmare relates to his uh, wartime experience in Afghanistan, it's just, you know, really horrific what these individuals, I guess, have to go through over and over and over while they're in the attic. And yeah, you know, again, not a place for the faint of heart, but Dominic finds echo. Finally, you know, this whole thing with arcane is that, uh, you know, they, they need to get out you know somehow i guess get him out of their mind and we we talked about this whole idea of a virtual reality and whether or not it's possible to get rid of one individual so at at this point they got to figure out well we got to do something with arcane can we kill him regardless we got to get him out and anthony aka victor suggests laying a trap and killing arcane which Again, because of the nightmarish experience that he had in in Afghanistan, I, I love the clear, lucid thinking. This is what we do: calling on his military training, right? And that that's how. Now that said, in the scenes where he goes in that uh, house and finds the uh, you know the the rebel or whoever, and he pulls out his knife, it's like, dude, you have a gun, just shoot him. Yeah, but like you know, it's 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 like a nightmare. So you know, exactly, like, you don't always have like what you would rationally do. Does is not like what you would do necessarily in your in your dreams or nightmares. You know, right? And, and you know that kind of leads me to what I said at the top of the discussion that one of the nitpicks. But as I thought about it more, it's not really a nitpick. I, I maybe understand it. You know, there's something about the acting on all the actors in this episode except maybe dewitt that just seems a bit off they just don't Mm. seem to really be on top of things but i wonder if the explanation there is that this is not a reality right you know it, it is the attic so that there there is you know that they're not quite who they really are. So I'm going yeah, to explain I'm not it gonna, away. I'm not going to stand here and, and let you throw shade at the actors on the show, Dave. Well, the, so. no, and 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 because they're always so great, and I just think there's, and, and again, maybe I'm just not seeing and hearing things the the way other people would, but there's just something that just didn't quite seem as believable. That there wasn't the the normal level of emotion that these actors 
have brought to us over the previous season and a half. So I, I, I think maybe that's why maybe they were just all off. I mean, who knows? Whatever. Well, but, I, you, but, know, I, you know, I, I actually kind of see what you're talking about here. And um, I think that this was a largely plot-driven um, episode, you know? So, like, not necessarily character-driven. So the actors really just didn't have to pull that out this time you know like well, it true. really just had to kind of like and i'm not saying you know actors in action movies don't really act but you know when you're in an action movie you don't necessarily have to emote so much as you have to punch and kick and jump right and so well, i think true. maybe that kind of, with maybe the exception of uh clyde i i, I guess so i i I kind of see what you're saying, basically. Now, DeWitt has already had her confrontation with Topher. At this point, she has her come-to-Jesus meeting with Boyd, which surprised me a little bit about his role in Rossum. And, and she lays out to him that, you know, you got few options. One of them's the attic, one of them's death, and the other is compliance, which will be rewarded. So... Um, but he's still upset that Echo was taken away from him. And that seems so long ago that he was her handler. Yeah. Well, you know, she has, she has an impact on people. And it's been so long since she's needed a handler. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, um, I mean, yeah, we've well, had Ballard obviously. Well, yeah, you know, again, this is, this is where having seen this before and knowing, about Boyd clouds my judgment of of his character, you know. Sure. Um, I, I I think the the first time I saw this, I, I probably thought the same thing. Like like, dude, like you know, get over it. But we but we know also on the other hand that he's had this really close bond. Like you know how like the the um, you know the doll is supposed to bond with her handler, but we know in Boyd's case, like he is really bonded with her since day one you know he's been very 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 protective of her all right so they go to their plan trap arcane and as they're about to kill him we see that it's this regular guy who tells them his name is clyde and his nightmare is what he calls the shape of things to come and of course we see in the background a post-apocalyptic epitaph one like yeah, epitaph scene. One. right exactly yeah. right Right, and, and, which then leads us into Topher telling Boyd that that woman is going to drag us straight to hell, and 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 that's uh, a really good line. It is a great line. That's what my but, kids say to me all the time when when, <laughs> when Joey gets mad. Right <laughs> now, we do say uh, we do think he means Dewitt rather than Echo, but I, I I think we do have to take pause to consider it could be echo i don't think it is i i, I certainly do think it's dewitt but, yeah i thought he's talking definitely thought he's talking about dewitt right but when you look at what echo's doing i mean if she doesn't succeed but well anyway we learned that clyde is trying to bring down rossum by attacking the mainframe and uh, again he, he is able to fill in a lot of the gaps the, the you know the idea that the fear each individual feels in the attic provides power to the processor. 
as they're looking at this apocalyptic scenario, you know, they're standing in the street there. And of course, I'm thinking like, Jesus, this is like a zombie movie, you know. But Clyde says it was my idea. And I'm thinking like, what do you mean? It was your idea to reduce the world to chaos? (laughs) Hey, look at what I thought of. Right. Or, or does he just simply mean the whole idea of what we now know as doll architecture and imprinting minds? I mean, well, I thought it, I thought he meant the mainframe was his idea. OK. And I wasn't sure about that. And, and regardless, he tells us he was one of the original founders of Rossum, but his partner betrayed him after they imprinted Clyde 2.0 with all his knowledge minus aspirations. And. The idea was that we would have Clyde, but a Clyde that would simply follow orders and and his, uh, I, I guess, naive approach to what his partner might or might not do was was certainly uh, what what leads him to become the first resident of the attic in 1993. And now his nightmares to run statistical probabilities for where the tech might lead and 97% of them include the end of civilization. Yeah. Wow. Right. Well, but you know, again, I mean, we we've seen it so we know it's actually like 100%. So <laughs> right. <laughs> you right. know. So uh, that that's a, that's always the uh, as we've talked about before, the the epitaph 1 curse. Like if you've seen epitaph 1, it it you know, kind of colors over everything you're seeing that in season two because we know how it ends right we know what right. it ultimately is leading to whereas if you hadn't seen epitaph one you're probably still thinking well they can do something to change it you know but we know right. that there's no change in it like that the future that clyde shows them is the future right and and he mentions that a woman was let in and can identify the man behind the grand plan and of course it turns out to be caroline and Echo now claims she knows a way out of the attic. But before we get to her plan, well, she, of course she does. She's she's had loads of practice, right? Right, right. <laughs> but before we get to that plan, we, Topher has imprinted Ballard. We understand to save him. And while he's not happy, once he realizes what's been done, he quickly takes action. He he grabs Boyd's gun yeah. and he just goes. He doesn't so, even ask any questions. I mean, like this is totally. Like, I mean, this is like straight from the mind of Mary Shelley, like his. Uh, uh, absolutely. His waking up, right? Right. And, and just, you know, speaking words that really are jumbled and don't make sense as his brain kind of rewires itself on uh-huh. the fly. Yeah, yeah, that was cool. I mean, I, I, I absolutely admire Temo Pennicott as a actor. Uh, he has my highest respect. And, and this was like, this is great how he did that you know it was just really you know because that that could be very cheesy and unbelievable but uh he he played it was just it was perfect it was great yeah so her plan is to take a bullet which she already has die and flatline which is going to disengage the computer and she's going to get help for the others and and dominic says so your plan is to come back from the dead (laughs) okay right and, and which which then, lo- again like you know pulls in some all some other illusions like you know as the the the, the christ imagery that uh, has been kind of her thing the whole time right sure sure and, and, and i love priya just 
stepping up and insisting that they do this together. I want to get shot too. We're a team now. Right. And Clyde and Dominic say they'll stay behind to help the others in the attic. And we we get this powerful scene there at, at the end in which Echo dies. Victor stabs Sierra to death before walking out into the street to be descended on by the crazies who presumably kill him. Or and he just, stabs her to life. Well, I love that. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, obviously music has been a significant part of Dollhouse oh, from yeah. day one. Oh, yeah, what was one. that song? Did you, that, it, that, that was a song before, right? Yeah, I'm going to put it in, into the show notes, the link. It's called No, I Don't Remember by Anna Turnheim. Oh, my God, it gives me goosebumps even thinking about it, but it's just so awesome. Yeah, it was because it was like, it, it reminded me of the song when they uh, were, you know, when they thought they were freeing all the all the dolls from the dollhouse, right? Yes. And, and they were playing that song, but it, it wasn't the same song though, right? I don't remember, to tell you the truth. Yeah, I, 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 like, at first, I'm like, oh, my God, it kind of sounds like that song, but I'm like, I'm not... But what you said doesn't sound familiar, so I don't think it was the same song. But it was still like very evocative, though. Like both of those songs were extremely evocative, and yeah. and just well put in there. Yeah. So we cut to the scene of Echo explaining to Dewitt that their plan worked, and we're like, "What the hell?" Yeah. <laughs> she knows who's behind the Rossum mainframe. The teams assembled in Dewitt's office, and presumably the plan worked. Boyd, Ballard, Topher, Ivy, Victor, Sierra, and Echo were one soldier shy. It's time for me to meet Caroline. Yeah. It's time to win her war. Yeah. Like, whoa. Yeah. Well, and especially since she's been almost like pissed off at Caroline, you know? Sure. And, and certainly not eager to allow her control. You know, like she she's had no interest in, in chasing down Caroline at all until now. And now she's like, all right, well, I guess we I guess we effing need to go find her then. Yeah, right. Because Caroline's responsible for me being here. Right. For for me now being. Well, and, and she knows like the, the, the people, right? Like Clyde told her, like she's she's the one who knows the people to go after. Right. But on the other hand. Knowing who Caroline Farrell was, an individual fighting for, you know, in that case, the rights of animals, shouldn't she, Echo that is, be thankful that, you know, Caroline led me here to bring down this evil corporation that's doing far more horrendous things. And I certainly don't mean to belittle what man does to animals because that's just horrible. But this is bigger. Yeah. Well, yeah, they're so, talking about complete and total apocalypse, right? Right, right. Um, I, you know, you're right in that, you know, Echo and Caroline, like, they, because we've been having this discussion for ages, right? Is it Echo? Is it Caroline? Because really, they're very similar. You know, sure. like, they, they have that similar drive to to save people and things or, or save in one case animals in one case, case people but we, we would think caroline would still be as interested in saving people as, as well as animals and so you know they they really share a lot of of characteristics that uh that that we've like for a long time except for them directly telling us that she's echo we weren't sure 
whether it was Echo or Caroline that was in control. Right. Well, uh, that you know, that's all I've got at this point. Is there something else you want to bring up? No, no, not at all. That was that was that was good. It was, uh, this, this episode was awesome. I really. Yeah, so, what are you it. thinking, letter grade wise? I know you've been saying you wanted to reserve your A's for. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna give this. I'm gonna slap an A on this baby. Okay. Yeah, I give, think I will as well. Give it a straight up A. I loved it. It was great. Like you know, I I agree with what you said. Like the acting was not necessarily as emotionally gripping as it usually is. The writing was effing awesome. It was great, and with with the writers that that did it, you'd expect that, right? Yeah, um, Marissa and Jed. Yep, it was spectacular. Um, it, it was another one where when it's done, you're like, seriously, I, I was that like ten minutes long. Like, you know, it's over before you know it because you're so, like, engaged in, in the whole episode. It was just, it was really great. Really, really outstanding. And it, uh, like, they just punted the ball ahead uh, as far as advancing the storyline, right? Oh, yeah. And, of course, with the big reveal that, you know, DeWitt, haha, it was all my evil plan. And I was acting evil the whole time, but I've really been good. Like, it was just, it was refreshing, right? Because, like, she was making so much progress, and then all of a sudden she was, like, bad and evil, and, like, we were just all bummed about that. So. But which, which, which then, though, I have to say, like, if she was, like, down with the plan, why did she hand Rossum, like, the, the, the imprinting gun? Well, that's a good question. You know? I- didn't even consider because I mean, I mean, of course, Grant, what I, were her options? Well, right, true. Like I, I know she she did that to get back in, but I mean, I just feel like there might have been some other ways she could have gotten control of the dollhouse again. With I, I don't know, maybe not, probably not, but but still, it seems like a pretty big like just to get your job back. You you hand like the apocalypse over to the bad guys, you know. All right, well, why don't we move over to some listener feedback and hear what Fred thinks about this week's Let's episode. Hello, Dave and Wayne. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some Dollhouse Feedback Season 2, Episode 10. First off, whoa, what an episode. And help, how am I going to give feedback for this? The first thing I have to do is watch again. So, bye. See you later, guys. Okay, I have rewatched the episode. First off, a nitpick. It remains awkward that you can put those long needles into a human skull. Echo must have a cardboard skull. Uh, and if, you sh- if I see how she fights in the next scene, she surely has not a cardboard skull. Question. Is this the first time that we see that Caroline's last name is Pharrell? We see it on the ECG monitor. She has, by the way, quite high heart frequency, but that could be due to the stress she is experiencing. Tova does say later in the episode something about that. We don't know. Experimenting. Torture. I think they are testing the limits of the human mind. The brain is kept in a fear-induced, adrenaline-fueled, overdrive state. Uh, Like a problem you can't solve. Either the nightmare lasts forever, or... And then Boyd finishes that sentence by saying, or it doesn't last at all. Echo also has a strange blood pressure, systolic being high at 180 and diastolic being quite low at 45. Especially that combination is a little strange. High blood pressure could be explained by the stress 
and the low by being in stasis. But as said, the combination is a little strange. The fight scene at the beginning was awesome, especially Echo taking uh, the three needles out of her own head and impale them in uh, that female's attendant's head. We did know uh, Tony's last name, Cicely, but did we also uh, know uh, Priya's last name, Tsetsang, because we also see this on the monitor. What uh, also was very cool was the fight in the corridor of the attic and Echo using the walls to jump at the guards. I hadn't expect the attic to be like this, not in construction and shape, but also not in function, tapping into human brains. Question, what is Boyd's private, what are Boyd's private problems? Why is he not 24 seven at work anymore? We probably will see something about that back, especially because it's mentioned even twice in this episode. I found it a bit confusing what Echo experiences, what is real and what is imagination. But this is probably all on purpose. When I saw uh, Arcane for the first time I thought, what the heck, did we land up in a Marvel superhero series? Arcade's actual personality is as it proves Clyde. Clyde is played by Adam Godley um, and uh, I know him from Suits and Breaking Bad. One funny line by Adele was to Tover, Yes, you're quite a pirate hero. I didn't care so much for Tony's war experience scenes, but as an orphan black fan, I did like the scenes where he is fighting himself. Not badly done, by the way. Talking about orphan black, last week's sci-fi TV rewatch rewind episode was very nice. Since I remember almost every scene in Orphan Black, I didn't have to rewatch the first season. In August last year, I did a nine days Toronto Orphan Black filming site holiday. No wife, no children, all by myself. In the evenings, I had to prepare the next day's trip and screened all kinds of episodes to look for sites I could visit the next day. What is very helpful in finding the proper locations uh, is the so-called Movie Maps website. I posted a link on the Sci-Fi TV Rewatch Facebook page where you can see some of the pictures of the sites I visited. If we then uh, in the episode discover who Arcane really is, uh, we see Clyde's visions of the future. Of course we know what happened in Epitaph 1. And this all makes me quite nervous about what Epitaph 2 will be. Echo to Clyde just after his transformation from Arcane to Clyde. This is your worst nightmare. And Clyde says, no, this isn't a nightmare. This is the shape of things to come. I didn't see it coming with, with all Tover's technology that Rossum's mainframe is running on human brain. At the end, it looks like that Adele DeWitt was planning this in order to overthrow Rossum's empire. Of course, this was a nice twist. But when we look back to the earlier discussions Adele had with IV Boyd and Tover, I think those discussions knowing about the conspiracy were not really accurate or realistic and actually quite awkward. They were just there to lead us as viewers astray. Hey Joss, that was not nice of you. Nevertheless, I think it was a very good episode and I will give it a 9 out of 10. Best line from the episode, Tover to Ivy. Hey, Darth Vader kills lieutenants, not stormtroopers. Last remark. 
I watched the pilot of the new NBC series Reverie, a series with Sarah Sahi in the leading role. The show is about a former hostage negotiator, Mara Kind, uh, an expert on human behavior. She takes a job saving people whose minds are lost in an advanced virtual reality simulation called Reverie. In the process, Kind begins to work through a personal tragedy in her own past. It gave me a kind of Ready Player One feeling, but I will have to watch more episodes to give a proper judgment. That was all for this time. Greetings, all the best, Fred from the Netherlands. All right, now, you know, you mentioned Caroline's last name, Fred, and, and I think later you mentioned uh, Priya. I, you know, I, I'm pretty sure we did know her last name was Farrell early on, and, or, or some, sometime yeah, in season I, one. I, I have even been from Pilot. It, it could have been. Now, Priya, I do think we learned her last name during that Nolan uh, Kennard episode, but I, I could be wrong there. But but yeah, I mean, it was certainly nice to, to you know, get complete names to you know, the, the characters that previously we've only known them as dolls. But obviously, The Attic is a big part of this episode. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's titled The Attic. And, and I'm not sure what I thought The Attic was going to be either, but whatever I thought it was going to be, it wasn't this. Yeah, right. Well, I always kind of like picture like my grandparents' attic, which is like this kind of cool place <laughs> with a bunch of old stuff that you like to look around and <laughs> look at old pictures and find baseballs and stuff. Yeah. Now, Adele's plan to bring down Rossum that we were just talking about it, you know, a minute ago. Uh, for me, it does sort of appear out of nowhere. And on the one hand, I could see that some viewers might see that as a problem that, you know, all of that's a little uh, too neatly wrapped up. But I don't think so. I, I think, you know, we certainly can make a case. But I guess the problematic area is the relationship Echo has had with Adele DeWitt at this point or up to this point. And, oh, really? You really weren't adversaries. You were really working together. It was all a, so, you know, a part of my plot. clever plan, right? But, uh, uh, you know, whatever. I'm okay with it. And then uh, Fred brings up this new show, Reverie, which I I've read the description. Sounds intriguing. I believe one or two episodes have aired at this point. But, you know, Wayne, I, I think definitely it's something we will consider. Oh, that's a show I actually... Oh yeah, and when he said that, I was like, I, I, I think I wanted to watch that one. Yeah, I mean, at least taking a look at the pilot because we'll have some time before Travelers returns for sure. Right. So uh, yeah, good call, Fred, and and uh, you know we'll keep everybody posted regarding uh, you know whether or not we're going to. I mean, I almost don't see why we wouldn't because it just sounds so intriguing. Yeah, yeah. So looks very cool. Yep. All right. Well, uh, thank you, Fred, for sending in that feedback, as always. And, you know, the rest of you guys, feel free to, you know, shoot us a, an email, a tweet, Facebook message, audio clip, you know, whatever. But that is going to do it for this episode of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. We want to thank you for joining us. We'd love to hear what you think about you know, anything that's going on in genre television. Encourage you to join the Facebook group. Share your thoughts with the Sci-Fi TV Rewatch community. And if you're already a member, spread the word. Emails go to sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com. Voicemails can go via the speak pipe tab, which you can access through the website. 
And we'll be back next time to talk about Dollhouse Season 2, Episode 11, titled Getting Closer. But until then... You know, it's so funny just watching my son and especially his senior year. I, I remember so many times thinking that that part of his brain is done. Irreparable.